This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. To spread grace, speak truth, restart, this is the kingdom. You're listening to the End Campaign's Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a biblical worldview. We're not trying to be progressive or conservative. We're trying to be faithful Christians in the public square. This is the kingdom. The kingdom. Yes, it is. Gotta spread the word. With your no good and camp, you're listening to the and campaigns church politics podcast with Justin Gibbony and the Windy City representative, the baddest brother above the Mason Dixon line, the right reverend Christopher Butler. Now, I want to make sure, Chris, that we start this episode off right. I want to I want to start it off by giving credit where credit is due. College football is over. College football has a champion, and I want to give a shout out to the champion. So let's give a shout out to the Bulldogs. Let's give a shout out to Coach Buddy Pugh and South Carolina State, uh, who are the champions of of college football. Uh, Those are the only Bulldogs that will be acknowledged by me as champions. And uh, as I I was explaining to my my dear friend Benjamin Watson earlier, uh, I can say that and I can act this way with a clear conscience. And the reason that I can act this way with a clear conscience is because of my uh, sports tribalism theorem. Now, I know that the Bible says rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But because of the sports tribalism theorem, I believe there's an exception when it comes to sports that I'm able to be tribalistic in a way when it comes to sports that I can't be when it comes to religion or when it comes to culture or when it comes to politics or other social aspects of of life. Uh, and so I will give my shout out to Coach Buddy Pugh. I will give my shout out to the uh, the Bulldogs of South Carolina State for the great um, just the great season that they put together. Uh, they were on national television. They won a, a game that they weren't expected to win. They won a game against a team, Jackson State, who was getting all the props and who you know everybody was looking looking uh, at to to be the winner and just assume they were going to win, but Buddy Pugh has been coaching for a long time and he proved that he is a champion. And so I want to give a shout out to that team, man. And and uh, I think that's just the the right way to start off uh, this episode. Chris, any comments? Well, I only have uh, this comment that because this is a podcast and you cannot see Justin. I have to make this uh, fully rich for everyone and let them know that Justin is actually wearing his Vanderbilt hat right now. Um, so it's even more rich. Hey, hardly home, but always repping, dog. Always <laughs> repping. And that, and that is absolutely true. Hey, before we get into this episode, I, as always, want to give a shout out to the Fetzer Institute, uh, who is one of our sponsors. I want to shout them out for supporting us in what we do and in how we do it. Uh, so thank you at the Fetzer Institute uh, for, for helping us out. And we're, we're uh, really excited about this partnership. And I keep talking about it. Maybe I'll announce it uh, next week, but we have some big things coming uh, in regard to that partnership. I want to I want to mention also that we are going to probably about once a month, depending how many questions we get in. If you become one of our patrons, if you go on patreon.com slash church politics and you become one of our patrons, you will be able to ask us questions and we will answer some of those questions, the ones we can get to uh, in a premium episode. So if you become one of our patrons, we'll start answering those questions uh, just so we can you know, improve interaction with y'all. So go ahead and, and sign up for that and we'll start answering your questions, man. Um, but we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. I think this episode is going to be very interesting. So y'all know how it goes. Ain't nothing changed. As usual, grab your Bible. Get your mind right and prepare to think, not like a Republican, not like a Democrat, but like a Christian. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
Only God knows the true objective nature of things. We humans struggle to separate the nature of reality from subjective experience and appearance. However, to some extent, God shares his knowledge with us in the Bible. The Bible, since it comes from God, is the only completely objective and accurate view of the world. We can never achieve God's perspective, but by following the Bible's teachings, we can try to come as close as possible, and we should try to come as close as possible. This is the foundation of what writer Marvin Olasky calls biblical objectivity. Marvin is a journalist, a professor, and the former editor-in-chief of World Magazine. He's a man who I have a lot of respect for. He's someone who has been very kind to the Ann campaign. And he's even taken probably some heat for giving us voice in World Magazine while he was there. Uh, We won't forget that. And we greatly appreciate it. Uh, The church is very much in need of more people uh, like our brother Marvin. In regard to biblical objectivity, Olasky uh, goes on to say that Christians should report things accurately. We should avoid sensationalism that doesn't point to God and the truth. And we should avoid only mentioning the positive aspects of the church or our culture or our cultural tribe, because that's just not truthful. When we do that, we're not being objective. Lastly, we should avoid deciding what's right and wrong through our own judgment or through lenses that only serve to flatter us and affirm our preferences. Without partiality, biblical objectivity shows how people are terrible and yet wonderful, created in the image of God and worthy of dying for. The goal here is uh, to take strong stands when when, when the Bible is clear. We want to make sure that we're standing up where the Bible tells us to stand up and where it's Uh, very clear to us, and to avoid doing so when the Bible isn't clear. That's the heart of biblical objectivity. Taking strong stands doesn't mean that we ignore unbiblical positions, misquote or ridicule our opponents, or engage in propaganda. We want to be clear about that. And And while Olasky articulated this concept to help guide Christian journalists, I think uh, that it also has a value for the Christian public witness in general. I think it's something we should follow when we are thinking about what our public witness should look like as faithful Christians. I'm especially interested in the part about the Christian goal of, uh, uh, of taking the strong stance when the Bible is clear and not doing so when the Bible isn't. The Ann campaign honestly, has articulated something very similar to that principle in our book. That concept is a major part of our framework, which we create, which we created before I was even uh, familiar with Olasky's uh, term of, of, of biblical objectivity. But that shouldn't surprise us because uh, it's biblical. And it's no wonder that when people are trying to be faithful and trying to faithfully interpret the Bible, they would come to similar applications. And so I'm good, good that he uh, that he fleshed this out so well and, 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 you know, and labeled it. I think it's very helpful. The Ann campaign, if you've been following us, you know, has continually said that Christians can disagree on some very important consequential matters where the Bible does not give us clear mandates or instructions. And that's part of the reason, Chris, why. I think we should be very hesitant. And I know you and I don't do this, but those of of you who do, you should be very hesitant to say what political party all Christians have to be in. Uh, uh, It's an error to create requirements that the Bible hasn't created. But it's also an error to be neutral on issues where the Bible speaks explicitly. Objectivity and neutrality are not the same thing at all. Silence and inaction in the face of injustice and unrighteousness do not please God. We see this in the Bible. Isaiah 59 verse 16 says, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. 
He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. God has an expectation that we will stand up for justice and righteousness and stand against its absence. Thoroughgoing neutrality is not faithful in the public square. In certain instances, Christians must stand. We must know what we stand for. We believe that the Bible has spoken clearly on things like uh, the Christian sexual ethic. We don't believe that there are multiple faithful positions on that issue. Right. According to the Bible, sex is for marriage between one man and one woman. Christians who deny that or are silent on that in the public square are being are not being faithful. Now, an important secondary question when we look at an issue like that is how that principle should be applied in a pluralistic society where people believe differently. There may be room for disagreement and how it should be applied, but our general position on that issue should be the same. And we should be willing to profess that position with compassion and without self-righteousness and meanness in the public square. Now, when we look on the other side in regard to issues the Bible doesn't speak clearly on, Christians can disagree on things like economic policy. And still be faithful as long as they seek to use the more seek to use, I should say, more general biblical principles that are applicable. If you go around saying that I must agree with your specific tax rate or that I'm in sin, I would have to disagree. But even here, Chris, and this is where it gets interesting, even here, if one's taxation proposal is influenced by greed partiality, or a disregard for the poor, then I think you can be an error, right? So we have to be able to look at this and examine it properly. But another aspect of biblical objectivity that interests me is the idea that it shows how people are terrible and yet wonderful, created in the image of God and worthy of dying for. Our public witness must be shaped by that truth and not just in a one-sided way. As you know, we are great at identifying what's wonderful about our tribe and our people and what's terrible about everybody on the other side. We emphasize the image of God in certain people and undermine it in our characters of others. Well, that's not objective. That's not truthful. I truly believe, Chris, and I want to see I want to hear what you you have to say about this. I truly believe that ideological purity is an obstacle in the pursuit of biblical objectivity. You cannot be ideologically pure or hyperpartisan and be committed to that level of honesty, to that level of truth telling. Because the truth doesn't just tell on your opponent. The truth tells on you. And so if you're never able to critique yourself or to critique your group, you're not telling the the whole truth. Some of our ideological tribes actually encourage us to base our opinions on subjective experience and appearance primarily. They often remove the Bible and natural revelation as the source of truth and replace it with corrupted narratives, conditional principles, and self-serving positions. Biblical objectivity forces us to critique all sides and examine our culture, our causes, and our history thoroughly, and then to report back without bearing false witness, without trying to make ourselves look better and other people look worse. The AND campaign will always critique both sides, or should I say all sides? Not out of a sense of neutrality or some sort of search for a squishy middle ground, but out of a commitment 
to biblical objectivity. Chris, what are your thoughts about this concept in, in general? Really like the concept. And, and I thought that the, the article was just really uh, interesting. And I, I super encourage people to go and check it out uh, on your own because it, I, I felt like it was a very, very well thought out piece. Like you, I think that, you know, this piece is specifically directed toward journalists, but I think in, in so many ways it does track right along with broader principles uh, that we need to wrestle with in terms of, of of just broader public discourse in general. I won't try to get into like a whole, a super uh, uh, thorough discussion of the article piece by piece, but again, if you go read it, you'll see how he walks uh, through historically how the approach uh, to objectivity changed over time uh, and and went from uh, a situation where people really did look to uh, to the Bible, to the fact of God, and to natural revelation as the source of truth. Um, and we moved away from that slowly but surely. Again, him focusing on journalism, but I tracked with him, and I think you see a similar thing in general public witness, uh, where people move from that sort of you know objectivity that is based on the fact of God and natural revelation uh, to something that was a little bit more only focused on the physical. Uh, and I, I really love this concept of making reality only about the physical and ignoring the reality of the spiritual as if the spiritual is not in and of itself real. Uh, and, and you saw that come through not only in journalism, but you you saw it come through in public discourse. And we still see the impacts of that on public discourse. Uh, and then we move, uh, he moves the conversation into uh, the place where we currently are that you talked about so well, uh, Justin, where it's, where it's completely subjective and people are essentially trying to advance their own arguments and opinions and the the sort of goal of of supposed object, objectivity uh, is simply to make your side look as good as possible, uh, and I think that is so far from uh, biblical objectivity. And as believers, we cannot do that in the public square. We cannot make our approach all about making our side seem right by any means necessary. Right? I think if if we call ourselves to return uh, to this concept of biblical objectivity, which whatever you call it, Justin said it, we, we wrote about this before we had really read the term biblical objectivity, but the concept is, is there and is what we have to call ourselves to. Uh, the last thing that I'll point out right now, because uh, I think is really interesting, uh, is that the article creates room for intellectual honesty on all sides of the conversation. He he highlights the fact, he says, biblical objectivity is, of course, hateful to atheists who say that, say, say its practitioners are being subjective by reporting God as reality, since God is merely an objective, an object of the Christian's consciousness. But atheists are assuming without proof that atheism is true. Christians see atheists as leaving out a basic fact due to spiritual blindness and no compromise, no easy compromise is possible when such fundamental presuppositions battle each other. Um, and I think if we can hold that in mind, right, that in some cases there is a very fundamental difference in terms of how we are interpreting reality, uh, it gives us an opportunity, one, for uh, for intellectual honesty, right? To be able to, you know, uh, sort of stipulate to the fact that some of the positions that we hold are based on certain presuppositions of fundamental truth, right? These are issues of fundamental truth. But if somebody doesn't see that fundamental truth, then it is going to be difficult for them to arrive at certain conclusions. Uh, and not that we ever should back off of those fundamental truths uh, or that fundamental truth. We shouldn't. Uh, but it does create uh, a space for sort of intellectual honesty uh, when it comes to how people might arrive at something uh, different. Yeah, that's good. I mean, you hit on something that really hit me, too, which was the spiritual is part of reality. 
And I think as we look at our public witness, as we look at the stances we take, as we look at how we interact with our opponents and also with our allies, it's important for us to ask ourselves how the spiritual plays into our public witness. How do we acknowledge the spiritual? Uh, Do we have faith in what we can't see? Right. Um, Do we understand spiritual warfare and who we're really fighting? What this bat, you know, what this battle is is really against. And I'm not sure that we always take into account uh, sufficiently take into account the spiritual part of our reality, because as we talked about uh, maybe a month or so ago, there's so much scientism and there, you know, so much of that stuff going on that we do dis often discount the spiritual. And we need to make sure this is one thing that our friend Dr. C.J. Rose talks about all the time. The spiritual side, the Holy Spirit and the spiritual side of what should be going on in the Christian life. Let's make sure that we take that into account. But I'm like you, I, I language is so important. The terms that you use to describe certain concepts are very important because they help people articulate what they believe and, and understand things better. Uh, and so when people often come up to us and it just happened to me the other day, happens all the time. And they say, man, you you and Chris, you guys are so balanced. I just appreciate the balance of the church politics podcast. And I get what they're saying. Uh, uh, we use that a little bit, too. But I think a better term is this biblical objectivity. Not that we've achieved it. Right, Chris. But that is what we're striving for. The reason that I can't just sit here and have a whole podcast where I'm just shouting out progressives and just saying everything they do is great or just shouting out conservatives and saying everything that they do is great just because I want one or the other to win is because that's not biblical. It's not biblically objective, right? That's why we can't do it. It's not because we don't understand that to fit in with the progressive, with the cool kids in in academics and the cool activists that we're supposed to say that progressives get everything right. I know that's what I'm supposed to do if I'm on that side. I get it, guys. I can't do that. It's not that we don't know that the Theo bros would want us to say conservatism is aligned with with, uh, the Bible and how great it is. And we could have a whole show on that. We know that's what you want us to do. We see what you're saying on Twitter. We hear you. We can't do it because of biblical objectivity and our pursuit of that. Uh, and that's when that becomes, when that isn't the object part of the primary objective of the and campaign of this particular show, then we don't need to be around anymore. Go ahead, Chris. I'll let you take us out. Yeah. So you hit on something, Justin, right there that I think is, is super important because um, you said we try to practice biblical objectivity uh, and we don't do it perfectly. Um, and the article actually hits on this point. He's, he says literally in the article that since we are fallen sinners, it's hard to practice biblical objectivity. We can easily fall into amoral journalism, journalistic moralism, existential subjectivity. Um, and I think, again, broader discourse, you can fall uh, into amoralism and moralism on the other side or this sort of existential subjectivity. Uh, and and what I, one of the things I love about the and campaign and the church politics podcast is that this is not about asserting that Justin and Chris have all the answers and we've completely figured out how to apply divine revelation in scripture uh, to every issue of life. I think what we're doing in the and campaign uh, is important because we are calling Christians uh, into community. Um, and just like it is with so many other things in the Christian life, it's so much better and so much safer uh, when we practice public witness in community where there are people to help us uh, apply biblical standards and biblical reality uh, so that we can together get as close to this you know, biblical objectivity as we possibly can uh, as the fallen creatures that we are. So I don't want anybody ever to to think that, you know, we started a podcast because we felt like we could answer all the questions and get everything right. I think the the real heart of the podcast and, and the end campaign more broadly is to call us all into community so that we think about this stuff and we work, uh, we make real efforts to apply these principles. 
Yeah, and I repeat, it, it's not a, it's not, you'll never accomplish it, right? But it's about a faithful pursuit of things like biblical objectivity. That's what we're trying to get at. Uh, we provide a framework where people can disagree, where somebody might be more right or wrong. We're never going to get it perfect. But one thing we are committed to doing on this podcast, and y'all have heard us do it before, if we get something wrong or if we need to be questioned and need to be, provide another perspective, we will do our best to do that. And that's our commitment to you. We will be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney and the right reverend Christopher Butler. Chris, the subject of biblical objectivity leads me uh, into the apparent lack of objectivity in the mainstream media. You've heard me tell you, folks listening, you've heard me tell you to turn off cable news. I've said that ad nauseum. And part of the reason for that is because it's not honest. Its primary goal is not to inform us in an objective way. And I know that's a broad statement. It doesn't mean every single person. But in general, there's a major problem with cable news. And I think a lot of you already recognize that. Well, According to a scientific Gallup poll, only 7% of U.S. adults say that they have a great deal of trust and confidence in newspapers, television, and radio news reporting. Only 29% say they have a fair amount of trust and confidence. And 34% have no trust at all in the media. 34% have no trust at all. People simply don't expect the media to report the news fully, accurately, or fairly. Too much of the mainstream media, I think, has been captured by ideology, has been captured or is it committed to ideological purity. And it's obvious, but for some reason it doesn't seem, they don't seem to know that it's obvious. Um. And I think because of what looks like to me, Chris, hubris and elitism, the media, again, just doesn't seem to get it. When you bring up the numbers, I've heard people question uh, different folks in, in the media and you bring up these questions about public trust. They usually seem to just say that the public doesn't understand their job. Now, again, there are people who do an outstanding job. Shout out to all those journalists, Christian and otherwise who work every day to give us objective information and really are doing it for the right reasons. Shout out to you. We would never condemn everybody in a certain institution or in a certain field. That's not what we're trying to accomplish. But this is really troubling because our public discourse can't improve if our main sources of information aren't trustworthy or at least aren't thought to be trustworthy. Our politics can improve without our public discourse improving. So we have a problem until our sources of information do better, become more objective or somehow articulate to the people or show the people that they are objective. That's something that everyone in that field should be committed to. Now, commentators or editorialists, as me and Chris are sometimes, don't have the exact same standards as journalists. But we should feel obligated to be responsible. We should be intellectually honest, as Chris mentioned earlier. And that's also been a huge fail in the mainstream media when it comes to commentators and editorialists. And I think it's starting to show even in the ratings. Listen to this, and I just saw a graph for this. Listen to this, Chris. According to to Nielsen and Spotify, Joe Rogan has more viewers than Tucker Carlson, Rachel Maddow, Sean Hannity, and any show on CNN combined. This man has more listeners per, per episode, let me say that, per episode than any of those folks put together. That is crazy. And I think we all need to ask ourselves, what is the reason for this? How in the world do you have these folks 
who have all this marketing and have these established uh, channels and these established shows. But then you got this rogue guy like Joe Rogan who comes in and has way more viewers than all of them put together. My guess, Chris, and I could be wrong. I think it's a few things that come together. I think when people listen to Joe Rogan, he's not overly ideological. He covers issues and perspectives that you just don't hear in mainstream media that they wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole because they're not politically correct or or whatever. He gives voice to unpopular opinions or what seems to be unpopular if you're watching if you're watching the mainstream seems to be unpopular opinions, but sometimes are just common sense opinions. Um, And I also think, Chris, it's because even when people disagree with him, they don't think that he's lying to them. Now, I listen to Joe Rogan from time to time. I don't listen to him all that much. But if I see there's a interesting guest on there that I want to hear, I may I may listen to him. Uh, And he and he and his guest, Chris, when I listen, they they definitely get some things wrong. Right. So this is not a show where I'm just giving an open endorsement to Joe Rogan. It's not that at all. Um, they definitely get some things wrong. But again, when I'm listening to it, I don't feel like there's as much pretense. You don't feel like you're just being fed propaganda, whether you agree with it or not, whether you think that particular episode is uh, responsible or not. You feel like it's an you feel like things are being just honestly and he's bringing on people and asking them questions, whether they're right or wrong. He's not necessarily taking on an ideology or taking on a side. And he will question some of the obvious mischaracterizations and misinformation that comes from mainstream sources. So there is a value there. Chris, what do you, what do you think is kind of behind this whole Joe Rogan phenomenon? And, and what does it say about our mainstream media and, and our sources of information? Yeah, I mean... Again, like I would say, you know, I also listen from time to time to a Joe Rogan podcast or, uh, you know, some portion of it, because uh, I, I do think that the long form uh, is one of the things that's compelling uh, to people about it. But I don't know, really, if it is as much uh, some tremendous virtue on the part of, of Joe Rogan. As much as it is these tremendous, tremendous deficits uh, that people are seeing more and more uh, in mainstream media, when, when you can uh, look at the same uh, thing, the same event being covered on different sort of cable news networks, and it seems like they're covering completely separate events in terms of, I mean, everything from camera angles and what they show on television uh, to who they talk to, um, the questions they ask, the answers that people give. It just seems so completely different. You get this sense that these folks are not being objective in their approach to how you how they're telling the story uh and and don't let somebody have the experience of actually having having been in a place where one of these sort of newsworthy events actually took place and then seeing uh sort of the the news reporting on it uh there's literally not a person i know justin uh who has actually had that experience where they were physically in the place where the newsworthy thing happened, uh, and they said that the that the news reporting really communicated what happened at the event, and and you and I have both been in those type of situations, and sometimes it's not even close, and sometimes it's not even close to what actually happened. It's all spin and narrative pushing, and I don't think people want that. I think people want spaces where folks can uh, have honest disagreements and think through things together uh, where they disagree. And I, I think that that's fundamental to, uh, to our democracy and, and, and sort of our approach to American culture. And it's so wildly missing uh, in mainstream media that people turn to, to all the different outlets where they can find that. Yeah. And I think we've even kind of, been a victim of it to some extent. I mean, if you think about some of the statements we've put together, we put together a letter and a statement on the Equality Act, where you had African-American leaders from every African-American denomination say, 
this is how we feel about the relationship between uh, uh, religious liberty and LGBTQ rights. And it was really a stance that was that you hadn't seen in that community before, where, where it says, you know, we, we support uh, uh, religious liberty and we, we support civil rights for LGBTQ people. It was a big deal when we send that information out to mainstream outlets. Nobody would report it. It didn't fit the narrative. <laughs> nobody would report that this group of mostly Democrats came out and said, no, we are standing up for religious liberty. At the same time, we will show compassion towards our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. This was a groundbreaking piece of this was a groundbreaking letter and statement. And when we sent it to people, they would not report on it. You you would see that next day they're talking about some dog that's running for, you know, a, a local position. And they wouldn't report on something like this, on one of the biggest issues that you see, you know, one of the most uh, 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 really t- contentious issues that you might even see in the public square. And you have a group who's taking a position that is is a very unique position, but helpful position. And nobody because it doesn't fit the narrative. Yeah, even I mean, and the people I, I will haste to say that the people who had signed on to this letter, I mean, these people who lead denominations and lead large congregations and in influential cities, these, this was not like, you know, the the coalition of you know nobody from nowhere. Like these were these were significant leaders, and, and folks just wouldn't cover it. Yeah, but but I bet if you had all these African American leaders, uh, faith leaders, and we were somehow making a statement against white evangelicals, they would have been all over that. That might have been front page. Hey, all that you got a hundred African American pastors that are coming out to to go against white evangelicals. They would that would have been all over. Or if somehow we went and said something against Obama, you'd have on Fox News. You have a hundred. You know what I'm saying? Like you would see that all over when it fits their narratives. But that's not being objective. This was this was news, and for local papers and and larger outlets not to cover it, it just shows you something that is going on. Now, when it, now going back to Joe Rogan, the funny thing is, Chris, and, and and I'll be honest, I stopped. I haven't trusted the Twitter consensus for some time. But based on Twitter, before I had actually listened to Joe Rogan, I thought he was a Nazi. Like I thought he was some uber conservative like Nazi that was telling people telling young white men to go out and like shoot people and beat them up like that that's the way that they especially during the 2020 campaign that's the way that they talked about Joe Rogan so I didn't really look I'm not really into UFC or any of that stuff um so I didn't really look into it I I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention but if that when that name came up I would associate it with those negative images. Now, again, this is not somebody I'm telling y'all to follow or telling you somebody that I listen to everything he says, but he's not that. that. That's what I'm trying to say. This dude is mostly fairly progressive on certain issues. He just doesn't fit into the cancel culture, uh, uh, um, uh, all the stuff that they would want him to say. He doesn't fit that. So you know what happens with our ideological tribes. You don't fit everything that they want you to be. You're not on their team. And unless you actually listen to somebody and hear them for yourself or read their work for yourself, you don't know who they are. So I would also go to say, even if you're not going to completely agree with somebody, which this isn't somebody who fits within the and campaign's framework necessarily, but it is something somebody whose work, to some extent, you can appreciate. We never would have known that listening to how certain people would paint paint who he is and what he does. Uh, so it's very important to hear things, read things uh, for yourself and not just to go along with the narrative that you hear online or where whether you hear it on Twitter, whether you hear, hear it on Facebook. Sometimes you need to listen for yourself. And if there's a phenomenon, if there's somebody who's fairly dynamic, don't just take the word of those who may have an interest in kind of skewing uh, that person's uh, character or, or the way that you look at them. Chris, take us out, man. What's up? Yeah, I mean, I I think that what you said is so important and we have to find ways. I mean, we've talked about the sort of um, uh, uh, media hygiene uh, that we have to practice. Uh, We have to find ways to sidestep these spaces. And increasingly, more and more spaces are becoming that. Like Twitter is is becoming the sort of carefully curated conversation. Even YouTube is more and more, uh, you know, snatching videos down uh, and trying to create this carefully 
uh, curated, uh, completely non-objective conversation. Uh, and so I just encourage people, you know, it takes some work, but go to like folks native websites, like hit up Substack. I think that that's still pretty wide open because even people who we disagree with have to have an opportunity to say what they, um, what they want to say. I think that the, the best uh, uh, solution for misinformation and bad information is truth and good information. I do not think uh, for a moment that taking away somebody's capacity to express their own opinion is healthy for a democracy. It, it actually reinforces what the worst public actors among us want people to believe, which is that they have some secret truth that everybody else is afraid of. And, uh, you know, so they don't want you to hear it because my my truth is so dangerous to them. Uh, and in reality, some of the crazy stuff that people say can be easily refuted with better argumentation. Uh, and so I, I think that this this whole approach to curating the conversation uh, and limiting what people are able to say uh, is is so bad for our democracy. It's so bad for our own public witness as believers. Uh, and so we have to continually work to find ways around those, you know, non-objective, carefully curated spaces that are emerging more and more in our society right now. And if you don't believe that the people can be trusted with the truth, then you don't believe in democracy. We'll be right back. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the And Campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the And Campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction, the And Campaign's guide to faithful civic engagement that we publish with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility. This is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast for our last segment. I'm sure many of you heard of it. I know Chris probably heard about this. But last week, PolitiFact, PolitiFact's truth meter gave Justice uh, Sonia uh, Sotomayor a big red false. Now, you don't usually see the statements of Supreme Court justices examined by PolitiFact in this way. But unfortunately, uh, during oral arg arguments about Biden's uh, vaccine mandate, uh, our justice, uh, Justice Sotomayor, said this. She said that and she was obviously talking about uh, uh, coronavirus. She said that we have over 100,000 children, uh, which we've never had before, in serious condition. And many of them are on ventilators due to coronavirus. That statement, no matter how you look at it, no matter how which side you lean to, that statement is widely known to be false. Um, this isn't just knowledge that you would you would see from people in the CDC. This isn't something that just Dr. Fauci would know. It's widely known that that's that number is just not right. Um, and. You know, it's unfortunate that th that message came from such a high place. I mean, this is the Supreme Court. They're about to make a decision on an issue dealing with a de deadly pandemic. 
There is no room for misinformation in this case, in this hearing, in this situation. It's really sad that that statement wasn't somehow filtered out before it was made, before it was said publicly. Now, as always, there's a lot of speculation on where the where this misinformation came from. Did she get it from the mainstream media and just kind of was she just repeating it? Um, there's also speculation as to why why she did it. Was she purposefully trying to further the progressive narrative? I'm not sure that we'll ever know that, but I personally will not go into that type of speculation. I won't assume that it was done out of deceit. Uh, as someone who spent a whole episode saying progressive when I meant to say conservative a few weeks ago, I'm going to give uh, Justice Sotomayor some grace here. Um, but still, I think we have to acknowledge that this is far from OK. Uh, we have to be more careful, especially when we're discussing issues of this nature. Now, Chris, some progressives were quick to point out what they thought was a similar gaffe by Justice Neil Gorsuch. Uh, they thought that he said that hundreds of thousands of kids die from the flu each year. So they pointed uh, that out to kind of neutralize uh, the Sotomayor issue. However, and I want to clarify this, I want to be very clear. Gorsuch actually said hundreds, comma, thousands of children so he was not incorrect. If he would have said hundreds of thousands, he was wrong. He said hundreds, thousands of children uh, die from the flu. And he was making a comparison. You may agree with that comparison or disagree with that comparison. The number he put out there was not uh, incorrect in the way that the number that Sotomayor put out there was. What what are like what 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 do you think is the the possible root of this kind of misinformation? What do you think is the impact? What does this what does this say about just our system and how information like this gets repeated at such a high high level, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, again, like I like you won't uh, speculate on Justice Sotomayor's uh, you know intent or what was in her heart in 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 saying this. Uh, you know, in, in the arguments, but I will have to agree that it is not okay. Uh, somehow, somewhere in the system, I mean, you're an attorney, Justin, I'm not an attorney, certainly not a constitutional attorney, and certainly, certainly uh, not, you know, an expert on all of the processes and functionings of the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, so I, I put that out there. Period. But I would think that somewhere in the process, uh, you have to be able uh, to to do something to make sure that basic things like the facts and figures that are presented, you know, in the course of oral argument and questioning are just, you know, accurate according to, you know, the available information. Uh, and, and I will also say that I was even more disappointed, like way more disappointed because again, like you said, Justice Sotomayor is a human just like anybody else and is able to make mistakes. All the people who work for her are humans and are able to make mistakes, but it's so, so disappointing. Uh, this, a uh, uh, thing that happened afterward with Gorsuch. One, he didn't even say it. Two, had he actually said it, the other side did something wrong is not an argument for why you did something wrong, right? Like that is fundamentally not an okay argument, right? Uh, I would say it the way that my mom says it, two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, so that whole approach, like, hey, well, we're not going to apologize. We're not going to call out our sort of tribe here. We're just going to try to counterbalance it by saying that somebody else who we perceive has been on the other side did something similarly wrong. Like that is crazy. Uh, and it is the reason why our public discourse is so crazy right now because people won't just 
stop for a moment and just be willing to critique your own side. Your side is not going to be perfect on everything. And I say that to people on any side of any conversation, your tribe, your crew, your side is not going to be perfect. Nobody is. And it's, it, it's not a position of weakness. It's not betrayal of your moral compass. Uh, it is not, uh, you know, turning on your political allies to admit and to call out your own people when they do something that they shouldn't do. That is classic whataboutism, and it's a major part of what has us in the situation we're in right now. I can't acknowledge and correct what I did wrong because I'm looking for something that you did wrong. So I don't have to take that L that is not a biblical way to go about things. It's not an ethical way to go about things. We need to change that, man. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode so much, so much of a good word coming from uh, our brother, uh, as always uh, the right Reverend Chris Butler Uh, really enjoyed this conversation, man. And I hope y'all have some questions on this stuff or some other stuff that we can answer and we can, you know, put an episode together for you, uh, for our premium listeners to uh, t- to to listen to, man, because that's what we're trying to do. As always, if you want to support us, you can go uh, to our Patreon and, and you can support us. Uh, you can go to our website and you can show support. None of this is free. You know, we're trying to do as much as we can. We're trying to get the message out, but we got to We need your help uh, in any way you can, whether it's small or big. We appreciate you. Help out. Help us out if you can become part of of the movement. I want to also, I meant to say it earlier, I want to also say shout out to my boy, Jared Lold Holt. He's the first one that brought up that uh, South Carolina State uh, champions thing. And I thought it was hilarious. So I had to, had to use it, but I want to make sure that he gets his credit for it because I thought that was pretty funny. Um, well, as usual, folks, y'all know how it goes. This, nothing has changed. It's a new year, but we, we, we still the same old church politics podcast. There is a cross that neither pol- political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, Ann Kemp. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.